It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Oh, you're 
Christmases be You know that he's sleigh bells in the snow. Mm-hmm. 
Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, my guest this hour has written a book called Hope Disappearing, A Population Left Behind. His name is Sherman Haggerty. He joins me by phone. Hi, Sherman. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, Hope Disappearing sounds a little depressing to people who like to try to keep hope alive. Yes, and um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there, there was a two-sided meaning for that um, title. Um, one, I truly believe that the homeless population's opportunities to leave homelessness behind have, have been diminished. Um, that was the impetus for writing the book. Um, the second, uh, and not too many people would know this, but we had a um, transitional housing program in Sacramento, that operated for 20 years. Uh, we had 4,000 people come back, most of whom left homelessness for good. But it got the nickname Community of Hope. And um, over a period of three years, it was uh, defunded through federal policy changes and uh, shut down, and there's really been nothing to replace it. So, Given uh, the timing of that, Sherman, is was that really something that happened during the Trump administration, and now that there's a new president, is there any hope that, that funding might come back for that program? Well, I don't know. Um, it, it actually started quite some time ago. Um, okay. It actually started uh, during the Bush administration. Um, it was a... Uh, that is some time ago. Yeah, uh, an act of Congress, and it, it uh, proceeded through during the Obama administration, and... Um, the wheels were putting really put into to motion at that time, but there there really have been no um, influences by any of the presidents over the last twenty years to um, change the policy direction. And uh, just real quickly, it was um, HUD who is the major funder of homeless services um, for years and. They made the decision, um, and it was ratified through uh, policy changes, that being a housing agency, they didn't want to fund homeless services anymore. They felt if they took the money they were spending on homeless services and put it into more housing, that would have a bigger impact on the homeless population. I was actually at a convention in Washington, D.C. when the Number two man in HUD got up and said, we're not going to fund services anymore. You need to find out where to get your money for services someplace else. Um, we currently spend a half a billion dollars on services. We're going to reroute that money into housing. You should go try Medicare um, to get your money for services. The problem was Medicare doesn't really cover any of the services that were used to rehabilitate homeless. Um, so we weren't eligible for Medicare funding. So there was really nowhere to go to, to, to get that money, and um, it was the end of transitional housing as we know it. And again, that money has not been replaced, and uh, the money redirected into housing hasn't come anywhere near. 
solving the kind of problems that we have today. With well, what do they mean redirecting the money into housing? They're just going to build more houses? Who's, who's going to buy them? How, well, where does that money come from? Well, and a lot of it is um, uh, uh, federally funded permanent supportive housing, um, but other f- affordable housing. So, yes, it was intended to go into, into housing u- units, multifamily housing units, um, tiny houses, any kind of housing that could become permanent supportive housing for um, the homeless population. But then would those houses be given away to homeless people? No, a permanent supportive housing uh, really pays an individual's household costs um, for as long as they stay in that housing. Um, I believe the last time I checked, um, the average tenure for residents of permanent supportive housing in Northern California is around 19 years. Um, so, you know, it's an expensive proposition to to fund permanent supportive housing, and um, there's been a huge increase. But even with the huge increase that we've seen in the last couple of years, the supply doesn't come close to meeting the current demand. And there's lots of reasons for that that are pretty complex. Well, you were talking about a program in Sacramento, and I imagine that, that throughout California, largely because of the climate, there are a lot of people who are homeless. We see it considerably less in Michigan, especially this time of year that we're coming into. Um, people go south for the winter, <laughs> just like the birds. Um, but do you have any sense, Sherman, for how many homeless people there are in this country? Um, yeah, I think the number is... is um is a lot higher than than number one that we're led to to believe. It would be it would be hard to identify the number um, for a couple of reasons. Um, one of the other things that HUD did was they redefined who could be technically called homeless, um, and in their definition, um, if you, you really have, have a you, if you have a cardboard box, you have a, a home, so you're not homeless. Is that? <laughs> It's not quite that bad, but it's pretty close. So if, you, if you're if you living in your car, you're not considered homeless. Okay. If you're sleeping in someone's backyard, you're not considered homeless. If you're couch surfing among friends, you're not considered homeless. If you have been institutionalized um, for more than 90 days, which could be in a shelter or someplace else, you're not considered homeless. It's, it's, it, it's really, you know, people who are living on the street and visible, uh, they do a point-in-time count every January um, to get a to get a number, and that's the number that they use for their homeless. But if you were really to add up the number of homeless, um, my guess it would be three times larger than what their point in time count is. So it's millions of people is the answer. Does um, does the census track homeless people at all? You know that's a that's a good question. I believe they do. I don't know if they segment them out as a. Um, separate population um they probably don't more about homeless and homelessness with author sherman Haggerty. straight ahead everybody's doing a brand new dance now hi this is mark farner and you're listening to the tom sumner program
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors.
Martelia Newman. From Arisha. Spiritual. <laughs> and the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about homeless and homelessness with author Sherman Haggerty, straight ahead. What can what can people do? Uh, you know, I I see guys, you know, uh, on expressway off ramps with signs that say "homeless, please help." And and my kids, of course, always want to stop the car and you know, chat and give them money and all that. And I I, I always told my kids when they were little that uh, you know always <laughs> always take a look at their teeth and their shoes. If they look pretty good, they're probably not homeless. They're probably scamming you. But what can we do? Because we don't always know what a person's situation is. What's the best way to try to help? You know, um, and that's a that, that's a great question. First off, um, you know, I think the decision to stop and give money to an individual who's on the expressway off ramp or in a grocery store parking lot is a a, a very personal decision. And um, you know, m- myself, uh, I kind of have a soft spot for uh, women with children and seniors, so I'm more apt to do something there. But um, really, the, the most impactful way, in my opinion, um, is to take opportunities like Giving Tuesday to um, make a charitable donation to the service agencies that really do the direct work with the homeless, because 95% of those dollars actually go into um, providing housing, providing clothes, providing food, medical attention, um, some rehabilitation, which we're desperately short of. Um, so that's really, if you want to make an impact, take opportunities like Giving Tuesday to make a charitable donation to um, to a charity. And then the other thing is, um, if your heart's in it, there's usually a desperate shortage of volunteers to you know pass out um, clothing, to uh, work at food lines, um, and to do other volunteer kinds of activities um, with these social service agencies that are that are serving the population. When is Giving Tuesday, and how did it come about? Well, you know, I, I wish I could tell you how it came about. Um, I, I don't really understand how all these national holidays... <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been around for a really long time, and all of a sudden it was there. <laughs> so it's the, uh, it's the Tuesday after Thanksgiving... And, um, you know, it's, it, it really just marks a day to bring attention. Um, you can give to charitable organizations 12 months a year, 365 days a year if you're so sure. exposed. Um, that particular day is just out there to bring attention to the, um, the opportunity and the need. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it's an interesting idea. You know, um, in Canada... They have uh, a tradition called Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, and and the idea being that, you know, people get all this new stuff for Christmas that maybe they ought to take a few minutes the next day and and box up some of their old stuff and donate it to various uh, charities. And um, 
that's become and and I I wonder why is uh, you probably don't have any sense for this, and I'm not trying to stump you, Sherman, but um, why would the Tuesday after Thanksgiving be a good day for Giving Day? Is it is it because of the outrageous spending on Black Friday and Cyber Monday and <laughs> all of that? Yeah, I, I, yeah, and again, I don't know that I can answer that. And, and uh, Tom, I'm not that difficult to stump to begin with, but um, I think it's more around you know Thanksgiving being a a, a time when we um, stop and give thanks and recognize that it's better to give than to receive. So, um, and the and the holidays just seem to those holidays that connect Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas. Um, you know, all have that same kind of feeling. What are the best things to do on, on say, Giving Tuesday that um, that would make a difference or, or help make a difference in the population left behind, as you point to in your book, uh, People That Are Homeless? Um, well, I think there's, there's quite a few things, but um, on the specific giving side, again, I would say, if you can identify a social service agency um, that is doing work with the homeless, and there are plenty of them. Um, I work with Volunteers of America, uh, which is a national organization that does a lot of direct service work um, with homeless populations, uh, a lot of rehabilitation work, a lot of housing work, a lot of um, feeding and clothing. Uh, we do alcohol and drug recovery. So there's you know, through that outlet, there's lots of opportunities uh, to make an impact. And how does helping the homeless benefit uh, your own community? Great question. And um, you teed up a good one for me. Um, <laughs> well, well, number one, I'd say it, it, currently in, in, in our community and and, and in most communities in California, Portland, Seattle, Chicago, a lot of big cities, Austin, Texas now, um, you know, the, the, the problem is growing where it is impacting um, lots of other sections in the community for uh, lots of reasons, which we don't have time to go into now. But if we don't collectively, and it's really going to take a collective effort, I believe, you know, re we have relied so much on the government uh, federal government, state governments, and local governments to be the solution providers for this problem. And um, they just don't have the capacity. They don't have the number of people. There isn't the right kind of ingenuity and drive um, and creativity uh, necessary to solve that problem on their own. We really need to get um, business, uh, faith community, and regular citizens involved in doing something, and it's just anything, um, to be part of a solution for this problem. But one of the benefits, um, and I have really direct experience with this, you know, through, through, through programs that are able to rehabilitate and um, put people who are currently homeless back to work, uh, the return is tremendous. Number one, the financial return is, is immediate. Usually they pay back everything that you spend on them in three to five years once they're back in the community. And also the number of people who can be rehabilitated is much larger than people realize. I was going to ask about that, Sherman, because I, I think a lot of people think of homeless people as 
um, somehow they've really divorced themselves from society and have no interest in coming back. Well, and I I will tell you, I haven't met, um, well, maybe I've met one or two, but over the years, the hundreds of people that I've had the opportunity to work with, I, I can't tell you time that I've met one who, A, made a conscious decision to be homeless, or B, wanted to remain there for the rest of their life. Um, there, there are all kinds of stories, all kinds of things that happened. Um, you know, right now there's a lot of alcohol and drugs and mental health um, that is intertwined with this problem of, of being homeless. But, again, we have found if we're able to get people stabilized and um, off the alcohol and drugs, the some of the mental health um Tendencies seem to go away really pretty quickly, and uh, you end up with individuals who are capable of getting back into the workforce. And the and the real benefit, uh, Tom, when you get homeless people back in the workforce, almost to a, uh, a a person, they have this intense desire to give back. Um, so they end up doing a lot of the work um, in the homeless rehabilitation, homeless services that other people don't want to do. So um, they become double contributors. You know, they not only become taxpayers, but they start doing the kind of work that we really need people to do to have a um, significant impact on this problem. How much of a commitment um, is it for an organization to um, transition someone from homelessness to having a home and having a job? What what kind of timeline is that, or is it is it so case by case that you really can't project that and and say, you know, the averages if if somebody gets the help they need, they'll be off the street and working and contributing to society in thirteen months. That's not a bad guess, actually. The uh, the program that we ran. Uh, from 1998 to 2013 was a 24-month program. Um, the cost to the taxpayer was around uh, forty to forty-five thousand um, dollars over that period to bring them in to do all the rehabilitation work, help them find a job, and then to help them find their own permanent market rate housing. Um, in forty-five thousand dollars, how far did that go? How many people? Well, it's it's. That's a per-head cost. Okay. I, I was going to say, because it sounds like a per-head cost. Yeah, so, and I, I know that sounds like a lot of money, but to put it in perspective, and I talked to our um, uh, county general manager over a year ago about the cost, um, the public service cost for homeless people who are on the street to the county, and 18 months ago, it was around $110,000 per person to provide the police, fire, ambulance, medical, and all the social services required to um, police and treat that public on the street. And there was no return on investment there. So, you know, you're, you can spend $100,000 basically chasing people around the streets or you can invest, you know, $40,000, get them rehabilitated, put them back to work where they are paying taxes again and contributing, and we're actually reducing the population. And the fact that that opportunity disappeared 
was really my motivation for, for writing this book because it's in Sacramento. There, there's no programs like that operating today. Um, you know, they're finally taking some steps to try to figure out how to get people back to work, but the services required and the environment that's needed has basically disappeared, and it's going to take quite a bit of effort to put that back in place. So, um, you know, I, I really, I really believe that it's an absolute worthwhile investment, and if it's looked at that way, if we're looking at return on investment. Um, we should be making more decisions to uh, try to work with this population to get them back to work. Again, the book that uh, Sherman mentioned is Hope Disappearing, A Population Left Behind by Sherman Haggerty. Um, Sherman, how long have you been working with uh, homeless people? So, um, you know, uh, real quick bio, I was, um, I was a executive in the home building business uh, for 30 years. I worked for... Um, Two different national home builders during that period, and um, in Sacramento, I became part of the Building Industry Association, and we created a non-for-profit back in 2000, uh, whose mission statement was to add uh, tr additional transitional beds for homeless population. So we started working with social service agencies back in 2000, and that's really when I met Volunteers of America, and uh, they asked me to sit on their board in 2005 which was my first indirect experience of working with um, homeless populations. But it, was, um, it wasn't direct service work. And um, while I got to meet a lot of people and uh, see a lot of the programming, I didn't really have an intimate familiarity with uh, the homeless population. Who, were they, who they were, where they came from, what their... Um, upside was, and I probably thought the same things that most people thought that we talked about earlier, that there were people out there by choice, um, there wasn't a whole lot we were going to be able to do with them, um, but I stepped down in 2013 to help develop an employment program out at Mather for uh, Volunteers America, so I actually became an employee um, and went to work at this transitional housing program every day, which I did for seven years. Um, during that period, I, I worked with you know, a couple thousand uh, homeless individuals who were who were coming through our program, and it really changed my whole opinion about who the population was, what their upside was, um, what we should be doing as a community to uh, really have a significant impact on this. Um, you know, I actually feel that we we treat our prisoners better than we treat our homeless population. So that isn't uh, that really doesn't surprise me that much. Yeah. So, um, and it's and it's sad, you know. But but I, I think the reason is most people are, you know, they're a little afraid of the population. They have all those same misconceptions that most of us had at some point. Um, and it's very difficult when you're looking. Um, <laughs> well, at yeah, it, it seems like when you're confronted with someone who appears to you to have nothing to lose. That is disconcerting. That is a little um, off-putting, to say the least. In your experience, Sherman, did you find that there were common threads throughout the homeless population? And I, I know that they all have their own stories, but were there societal things that, that, that seemed 
common from person to person? You know, I think that um, it was more prevalent. Uh, homelessness was more prevalent in um, some of the minority um, races that the there was some parallel with uh, economic status uh, in the community as a group. But having said that, um, we really had a incredibly wide variety of um, individuals come through the program. One of the common elements was um, drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And um, it's amazing how drug addiction robbed the lives of lots and lots of people from lots and lots of different stratospheres in our economy and uh, t- turned them into you know, people who were homeless, people who lost houses, lost families, lost jobs um, because of their drug addictions. Yeah, I would think that that would be a, a somewhat common denominator. Um, is it is not just drug addiction, but substance abuse overall? Yes. Yeah. And now this is something, and I and I'm not sure how how best to set this up, Sherman, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. For someone who's listening to us and we're talking about homeless people and, and tomorrow being Giving Tuesday and they're thinking, eh, you know, I might like to do something. I, you know, I got a couple extra bucks during the pandemic I wasn't expecting, you know. Um, but where is a good place to start searching and vetting different organizations? Um. You know, I would probably start on the internet under homeless services, yeah, and um, you know, see what kind of agencies are operating locally. You know, I would expect people who are giving to want to make uh, an imp- the best impact they can in their own community. Do you, do you think it's best to you know to try and give locally as opposed to you know a big national organization? Um. Again, if there's an opportunity to have an impact on what's happening locally, I would say yes. If there is just a, a, a hard to do more, um, there are some wonderful national organizations out there that would would benefit, and they would like me to say, um, you know, to 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 give to those programs so they have some discretion on where the most um, effective use of the dollars might be. Is there a, a and and I know there probably isn't a one-stop shopping place but are there a couple of national organizations that might be able to steer people to services in their home communities oh um yeah and and again i would i'm always going to take the opportunity to uh, talk about my association with volunteers of america they're all across the united states of course 34 um major metropolitan areas there's 16th thousand people um, working every day to serve an extremely large population of homeless people and um, but you know Salvation Army is another national organization that does uh, really really good work um, goodwill um, there's really quite a few uh, with a little bit of research I'm sure there's some others that that might be regional um, that could also you know be in, impactful in the region that where people live so um, but there's yeah, there's really a wealth of information on the internet about this topic. Okay, the name of the book is uh, 
Hope Disappearing, A Population Left Behind by Sherman Haggerty, my guest this hour. Um, tomorrow's Giving Tuesday. It's a good time to think about maybe what uh, what you can do. Um, Sherman, any uh, it's about time to wrap up, and I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, um, but also about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do. It's um, Pastor Sherman Haggerty is the website, um, and, and uh, there is also... Um, if they look up the book on Amazon, there's a link to an author's page, um, which has more information about me and also has a really uh, interesting video about some of the work that we did here in Sacramento. And um, if I can make one last comment. Yeah, you know, please. My motivation for, for writing this book really came from my heart for this group of people. Um, I, I really feel like they're the most devalued population that we have in our country, um, I think our country is is um, way too kind and uh, um, has way too much opportunity to continue to allow people to um, become homeless and to not have an opportunity to to leave homelessness. Because I can tell you, the vast majority of people that I've met who have been homeless would love to figure out how to get out and uh, become a part of the community. And if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. I just want to become a contributing member of my community again. Because the, uh, according to Mother Teresa, the worst disease a person can experience is being unwanted. Yeah, good point. Well, Sherman, thank you so much for spending this time with me. And uh, keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye. That was... Uh, Sherman Haggerty. He is the author of a new book called Hope Disappearing, A Population Left Behind. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. 
While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Safina, Tamaya, Sammy, Lauren, Maya, Raya, Riley, Ella, Gabby, Emma, Alyssa, and the Tom Sumner Program. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons! It's Christmas Eve, and the Bickersons have not retired. Mrs. Bickerson is busy wrapping presents in the bedroom while husband John, exhausted as he is from the pre-holiday activity, puts the finishing touches to the tree, which stands proudly in the kitchen, the only other room in the Bickersons' small apartment. Listen. John? John? Will you bring the scissors, please? John? What is he doing in there? Oh, no. How can a man fall asleep on a ladder? Oh, I haven't got the heart to wake him. Oh, I'd better get him off of there. John? John! Oh, ow. What's, the, what's the matter, Blanche? What happened, huh? Oh, you poor dear. Did you hurt yourself? No, uh, no, I'm all right. How did I fall off that ladder? I must have fainted. Yes, dear, you were fainting like a log when I came in. Why, John? What? You never even touched your dinner. Not a morsel of it. I don't like the looks of it, Blanche. Oh, stop that talk. It's perfectly good food. You let it sit there on the kitchen table for hours getting cold. You want me to warm it up for you? No, just tell me what's on that big plate. Are you trying to be funny, John? I'm not trying to be funny, Blanche. What is it? You know very well I can only cook two things. Liver and rice pudding. Well, which one is that? How can you be so nasty on Christmas Eve, John? Blanche, I just asked you a civil question, that's all. I didn't think it was liver because your liver always looks like rubber heels. That stuff looks more like scrambled eggs, so I thought it might be rice pudding. Well, why don't you taste it and find out? I'm not hungry. That's why you're always tired, John. You don't eat enough. I eat plenty. Well, what did you have for lunch today? Well, you ought to know. You packed it for me. And listen, Blanche, I'm getting sick of carrying my lunch to the office in paper sacks. Why can't I go to a restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking talking about. I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. Lunch? That's the kitchen scraps. How do you like that? No wonder I never have an appetite. Why do you do that to me, Blanche? Go on. Eat some dinner and finish trimming the tree. I don't want any dinner. I want to go to sleep. Aren't you going to finish the tree? I can do it in the morning. But, John, tomorrow morning is Christmas Day. I expect a lot of people to drop in. The butcher's coming, and the milkman is coming, and the... Listen, Blanche, I can't afford to give those guys presents. Why did you invite them over? I didn't invite them. They're coming here to collect their bills. Bills? What bills? I gave you money for the bills. Well, I had to buy presents, didn't I? My sister Clara sent me a package, and I had to get her something in return. No, you didn't. Nobody asked her to send you anything. Well, she did just the same. So, 
I bought her a bottle of perfume. How much was that? $24. $24? Why, nobody can carry that much perfume. It, it was only an ounce, silly. It's the latest perfume. Very daring. It's called Perhaps. Perhaps? For $24, you should get positively. Don't be so crabby, John. We're not going to fight on Christmas Eve, no matter what happens. Remember, you promised. Okay. I'm not even going to get mad because you didn't send me a Christmas card. I did send you a Christmas card. It isn't necessary to make excuses or alibis, John. I'm going to forget it entirely. I don't have to make excuses. I did send you a Christmas card. I mailed it five days ago. John, you, you promised you wouldn't shout. Well, then, why are you goading me like this? You know I wouldn't say I sent you a Christmas card unless I had. I never received it. Well, then it got lost in the mail. <sighs> possible. Thank heaven. All the other cards came in. That doesn't mean anything. One card can get lost, can't it? If you sent it. I did send it. I swear I sent it. Had a wonderful poem on it, a beautiful picture. It was trimmed with lace. Cost me a buck. All right, John. Well, you don't believe me? Let's not discuss it anymore. Okay. But I hope you don't forget to send one next year. <sighs> What's the use? All right, so I didn't send you a card. That's all. Why didn't you just admit it before? There was nothing to admit. I just said I didn't send it to end the argument, but I really sent it. What did it say on it? Um, it said, uh, Merry Christmas to my love. That could be anybody. Let me finish. It said, Merry Christmas to my love, my wife, my life, my turtle dove. Life with you is great, it seems. I love you more than pork and beans. You're only adding insult to injury, John. Well, how do I know what it said? I can't remember what... What's that laying on top of the newspaper? There it is. There's my card. Oh, so it is. See, you didn't have to get so excited after all. Oh, thank you, darling. It's a lovely card. Wear it in good health. Well, let's open the presents and then go to sleep. Well, how could you, John? You know we never open presents until Christmas morning. Besides, you haven't finished trimming the tree. All it needs is a string of lights. One of the bulbs is blown. That kills the whole string. Well, can't you buy a bulb? The stores aren't open now. What time is it? Five past twelve. Well, that's good. It's Christmas Day. Let's open presents. You didn't even hang up your stocking. I haven't got one that would hold anything. They look like lace curtains. Come on, let's open the presents, Blanche. Come on, huh? Oh, all right. Say we haven't got very many this year, have we? Oh, who's this from? That's from Leo Goosby. It's amazing how you went to the one shaped like a bottle. Oh? Oh, is that what it is? I hope it's good stuff. Ah, mm, that's not bad at all. John, that's shampoo. Shampoo? Why, that chiseler, two-bit Leo? What do I want with a bottle of shampoo? And to think, I threw out 39 cents on a tie for him. What have you got there? It's another present for you. Oh, it's from your boss. No kidding. Gee, that's a big one. Oh, what is it, Blanche? A five-gallon can of lighter fluid. Well, that's fine. That's just what I need. I don't even own a lighter. Well, don't feel too bad, John. Maybe you can exchange it for something else. Last year, he sent me a bowling ball case. He must get these things in a rummage sale. I never heard of such presents. Here's one for me, from Louise Shaw. Shoo, but that's a dilly. Oh, Louise always sends something nice. Not expensive, but it usually comes in handy. Well, look at that. What is it? It's a polo score pad. Isn't that nice? That'll sure come in handy. 
Honest, Blanche, you've got the weirdest collection of friends. Is there anything else? Just our presents to each other. Why don't you look at what I got you first, and then you can show me what you got me. Now, close your eyes. I'll unveil it. All right. I hope you didn't spend too much, dear. I don't really want anything. Open your eyes. Blanche. Oh, Blanche, darling. That way, that's beautiful. That's a dream. A portable bar with a brass rail. Don't you think a kiss is in order, John? Oh, a million kisses. Well, stop <laughs> kissing the bar. I-, I meant a kiss for me. Oh, I'm sorry, darling. It's it's just too good to be true. Oh, you're wonderful. Uh, Blanche, that must have cost a fortune. Now, John, don't get angry, but I sold my fur coat. You you sold your fur coat? I wanted you to have the bar, and I didn't have the money. You sold your coat, that beautiful fur coat that you bought yourself for my birthday? That gorgeous bald mink? I got $75 for it. The bar cost 85 Oh, Blanche, you sh- never should have sold that bald mink. It doesn't matter. I have a cloth coat, and I never get cold. Yeah, but you don't understand. Um, open the present I got for you. I can't wait, John. Oh, a muff. A fur muff. Genuine plucked skunk. I had it made special to match that coat. It can hold two full quarts, and you sold the coat. Oh, well, what's the difference, darling? Someday you'll make a lot of money, and then you'll be able to get a coat that'll match the muff. (laughs) I'm very happy, John. I know, but... uh, And you still have the gorgeous bar. That's just it. What's the matter? I sold all my bourbon to pay for the muff. That's great, isn't it? What a break for both of us. I think it's wonderful, John. What do you mean, Blanche? I've never been so happy in my life. We've both made a sacrifice, and that's worth more than all the gold and precious jewels in the world. Just to know that you gave up a prized possession is proof enough that you love me. I've always loved you, Blanche. I may holler and rant and act like a first-class crumb sometimes, but you never doubted that I loved you, did you? No, John. It's been seven years, honey, most of it uphill. I haven't showered you with diamonds or bought any yachts, but I try not to deny you anything. I suppose you have your little faults, what woman hasn't, or what man either, for that matter. We're both pretty sensitive people. Maybe that's why we beef so much. Still, I don't think we're any worse than any other married couple. At least we have a safety valve, and we can let off steam. Some of the others just carry it inside until the break comes. No, Blanche, I like it this way, and I love you more than anything on earth. John. Hey, hey, cut that out. I'll prove how much I love you. Where is that liver or rice pudding or whatever it is you made? (laughs) It's liver. I'll eat every bit of it if it kills me. Let's go. Merry Christmas, darling. Merry Christmas. Good night, John. TomSummerProgram.com We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.